Hey guys, you're now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. So, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for what you are doing in our midst. And um, we're just excited to dig into the Word to learn more about you. Um, so, we just ask, I ask Holy Spirit that you would lead this teaching, that you would lead the conversations, um, and that you would bring revelation of yourself to us. Um, so, yeah, we just love you, we bless you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. 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 So, quick recap. We are going through what chapters of the Bible? John we're in John 14 today. We're going through John 13 through 17. Yeah. <clears throat> we got through the first half of John 14 last week. Does anybody remember what we talked about? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, your membership has been revoked. <laughs> All right. That's been nice. We're That's cutting it. your church pay in half. All right. I'm going to head out. <laughs> Wait, he's getting paid for this? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he's getting paid the same as all of us. Say, uh, did he open a bank account? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we weren't going to talk to you about that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, so <clears throat> the beginning of John 14, uh, Jesus is comforting his disciples, which we sat on for a while last week because that's nuts. Jesus knows he's about to. This is the Last Supper. This is the Upper Room Discourse is what it's called in theological terms. It's where Jesus took the disciples up into an upper room to celebrate a meal with them, but it's the night that he's about to get arrested. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all talk about this moment, but they don't go into detail with it. It's more so like a a drive-by of, they had supper together and then they left. But John gives us this intimate look at this final supper that the disciples had with Jesus. And so if, if you were to be on your dying bed, you would probably tell your son or daughter or friend or close companion, whoever's there, pretty important stuff, right? You, you tell them the things that you really want them to focus on. And so Jesus is kind of hitting them with some real stuff is the way I like to put it. He's hitting them with it. Um, we talked about John 13. John 13 is when Jesus, as soon as the disciples walk in through the door, he takes on the form of a servant, removes his robes and gets down on his hands and knees and washes their nasty old bunion old toes. <clears throat> you think your toes are bad. Just think if you had to wear sandals everywhere and everything was sand. Sand. It gets everywhere. Uh, and so Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Uh, Peter tries to interject and say, No, Lord, how dare you? You can't do that. You're way beyond that. And Jesus says, If you don't let me wash your feet, then you'll have no part with me. And in typical beer fashion, he's like, well, wash my body, too. <laughs> um, and so uh, Jesus tells the disciples, what I've done to you, I want you to do to each other. Uh, this is how I want you to treat one another, a.k.a. serve one another. You know, the, the washing the feet thing, I think, still has a part today, uh, an importance today. But it's not as important back then because we have closed-toed shoes, you know. Most of us asphalt. shower, asphalt. Water. <laughs> Most of us have running water, right? Um, so, and then it, we talked about Judas and how Judas made lots of choices uh, to get to the point where he's at. A lot of times when we read that story, we think that Judas was set up to be the betrayer because of God's sovereign plan, but that's a pretty wicked idea um, to think that God would just set somebody up to just make them fail. That's unbiblical and unscriptural. Um, it actually says that Judas uh, had multiple chances. Like the, uh, you flip to the page before John 12, um, when Mary is pouring out her worship before Jesus and washing his feet. It's either Mary or the prostitute, I can't remember. Um, they're washing the feet of Jesus with this expensive nard that cost a year's salary about. And Judas says, she shouldn't have done that. We should have saved that so we could give money to the poor. Think of how many poor we could feed with a year's salary. I mean, think about that. Average salary is what, 50 grand today? Um, you know, 50 grand takes care of a lot of homeless. He's right. But then the, the scripture after that, the verse after it says, but Judas didn't care about the poor. In fact, he was a thief 
and he had been stealing from the money, uh, the money box because he was the treasurer. This was known. I mean, obviously, John's writing in foresight or hindsight. You know, he's like, "Oh yeah, Judas was a snake." <laughs> they didn't know it at the time. Um, and I, I don't want to go super deep into that. I'll, I'll have this stuff up on the podcast so you can go back and listen. But Judas wasn't just set up. Judas had been given every opportunity to turn and repent. I mean, he walked with Jesus, and Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom is at hand. And so to act like Judas uh, was set up is just um, irresponsible on the part of us as scholars reading the Bible. You know, I consider you all scholars. Oh, <laughs> I say scholars is tongue-in-cheek. This is... This is, this is is too much lofty. <laughs> <It's> too lofty. <laughs> too lofty. Too lofty. So then we talk about Peter. Peter also betrays the Lord, but uh, Peter also comes back to the Lord. Judas runs away, but Peter comes back, and Jesus restores him later on. But we only see his denial here. Um, and then Jesus sits him down in John 14 and tells him about him being the way, the truth, and the life. Um, he tells him he's going to prepare a place for them. And that he's going to leave, but he'll come back and receive all of them to, the, to himself. And so Thomas tells him in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus tells him, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a crazy statement. Jesus is starting to, there's a lot of parts of his ministry he's kind of kept hush-hush a little bit. Now he's starting to get, like, bold. He's like, yeah. I am the way to the Father. Like, you want God? You have to come through me first. John chapter 10, he talks about himself as the, the shepherd's gate, which would be like a, a, a gate that protects the sheep from any outside intruders. He's the one you have to pass to get to the Father. Um, so we went through all of that stuff. The end of chapter or that portion that we read last week was uh, Jesus saying, Truly I say to you, he who believes in me will do the works that I do also, and he will do greater works than these, because I am going to my Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We, I don't think we got to talk about that much last time. That's nuts. <laughs> like, that's a lot of responsibility. God, that's too dangerous. You know, Church leaders would say, Slow down, dude. Don't give them that much responsibility so fast. They could mess up. Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> My grace is sufficient. Um, so we're going to skip on over to verse 15. We're going to read 15 through 21. Who wants to read that for us? Thank you, Josh. Okay. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Commandments. And I will, give, I will ask my Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you will know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. You said the 21, right? Yep. Okay. And I will leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. <laughs> oh. It would have been a whole different story. What translation? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this is the passion. Oh. <laughs> Stone him! <laughs> Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will follow. You will know, sorry. You will know that I am in my Father, and I, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Mm. Cool. So, what uh, what sticks out to you guys here? Mm-hmm. Never going to be alone. Why won't we be alone? If he's leaving, who's coming? The Holy Spirit. Yes. The com- counselor or the comforter or the advocate. Um, the Greek word, I believe, is parakletos. That sounds right. 
Spiritus, which means one that comes up alongside. So the Holy Spirit comes up alongside us. What else sticks out to you guys? How long will the Holy Spirit be with us? Forever. As long as it takes. Forever. And the next day. And the next day. What an awesome promise. You know, we're going through a lot of uh, teaching us on like spiritual gifts and learning how to walk in them. And I think one thing that everybody's been doing really well, just to be fair. But one thing that's always a struggle, and even for myself, is is the Holy Spirit actually speaking to me? Can I actually hear the Holy Spirit speaking? And <clears throat> I say that because it's a feeling that I have in the moment. Oftentimes it's because I feel nervous or uh, insecure that I don't have a word or something. And so I just start being hard on myself. Um, and this is a scripture that I need to like plaster on my mirror until I get it in me. Is that uh, I will pray the Father. He will give you another counselor that he may be with you forever. It is nothing about my efforts to keep him with me. Yeah. It's all dependent on how Jesus prays to the Father and how God decides to give and the Holy Spirit gets to stay forever. It's not dependent on me. So whether I feel it or not, as a believer, once I've, I've become, begun to follow Jesus, as long as I say yes to him, the Holy Spirit lives inside me. That's for each one of us. Oh, well, I, I really screwed up. You know, I did something I can't tell anybody. You know, I've sinned. Surely he's left me. Well, your sin's not that great. Seriously. Your sin can't make you uh, disqualify. It doesn't have power to qualify you, and it also doesn't have power to disqualify you. Now, if you actively decide to walk away from the Lord, then that's on you. But if you have sins that come up every now and again, you mess up, you, you've been working through it, and you're repentant, and you're confessing and walking in the light. James uh, James or John? I think it's First John, actually. It's either James 1 or First John 1. It says, walk in the light as he is in the light. For if we confess our sins to one another, then uh, he is faithful to uh, cleanse us. And purge us of our sins. Yes. I just want to build off that because I like this entire like position here. Jesus talking to the Jews or to the to the disciples specifically. Mm -hmm. He's like saying like I'm going to help you. Mm -hmm. And to build off of what you're saying in First John, um, like there's a there's a juxtaposition <clears throat> that he actually gives in the epistles yeah. or chapter where it's kind of like. Having with having this knowledge of the Holy Spirit, right. he says something to the extent of like you basically like uh, having to love your brother, mm. having to like you know love your brother because I'm not going to screw it up. You're good. Uh, it's he says one thing. He says you cannot uh, hate your brother and love right. God for you're a liar. But also. It's James, yeah. um, he talks about uh, how, like, if you cannot love your brother who is seen, how can you love God who is unseen? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So kind of like it's like a great juxtaposition to this chapter. Hundred percent portion. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'll I'll read this verse from First John because I always quote it and I never quote it word for word because I haven't memorized it. So I'm actually going to read it. It says First uh, John chapter one verse five says. This then is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not just some sins, not just the big ones or the small ones, all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. <clears throat> we all have sins. We all have things we struggle with. Um, and it's one thing to come to Jesus and you know say, I want you to be my Savior, 
I give my sin to you. I give my mess-ups and screw-ups to you. And I, I trust you as my, my Messiah that you died for all my sins, past and future. It's a whole other thing to confess and walk in the light. Not only just with God, but with your brothers and sisters. And I think that's one thing that we've really tried to build here is that you, there are people here you can talk to. I'm not saying every Sunday we come to the center of the church and everyone tell how bad you've been, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. First we're going to do testimonies, then we're going to do confession. <laughs> like, uh, but I also don't want to neglect the fact that confession is the way that we get into the light so that we can be like our Father who is also in the light. What is it talking about? It's talking about the Trinity. Talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In them is no darkness. They are not lying and keeping secrets from one another. That unity is the unity that the body of Christ should have. We're invited into that kind of unity. So when one of us walks in darkness, it, it, it causes all of us to struggle. It causes all of us... I'm not saying that you know somebody's got a secret sin here. We're all going to end up leaving with secret sins. It's not like... Demons are jumping from left to right. But there's a darkness in the assembly. There's a darkness in the assembly. And we want to be fully in the light so that we are not uh, double-minded as a body. We want to be single-minded in our focus. I see this all the time in worship. This is the best way to describe it. People come in. Everybody's had a week. You know, Everybody's had a hard time. You know, And... There's always like a couple people that just, they can't think, they can't focus. And honestly, I'm not really talking about us because I feel like we do a pretty good job. I've been in churches where people come in and they've had a hard week, you know, and it's not that you can't have a hard week. That's not the point. It's not like you can't be invited into worship because you're just going to, you're such a mess and you're going to bring the whole group down. It's that there is freedom and invitation for you to share that with with someone in the room so that you are not alone. So that the light of God can come into you, cleanse that darkness so that you can walk in pure relationship with him. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but my biggest hindrance a lot of times with spending time with the Lord is just feeling like I'm dirty or like I'm dark and like he's too clean, he's too pure. You know, like, no, this is the... The way that the church is supposed to be is that we are all walking in the light together. And I love how it says, he who says that he is without sin is a liar, and the light is not in him. <laughs> Monica, what is that verse from John, or uh, Matthew 6? I think you wrote it down. It's on your board. Oh, the, the, the eyes are like... Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy... <laughs> then your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness actually is. That's what First John's talking about. Same thing. Like, he who says he's without sin, he's real jacked up. <laughs> if you think you're jacked up because you have sins, it's, it's shame, it's condemnation, and there's no more of that reserved for us. That is a lie from the enemy, and we have to practice walking in the light. And I say practice, I mean practice. Because it's not a one, one and done thing. It's a continual sharing of your life. I was going to say, there's so many scriptures too about like <clears throat> redeeming your brother from the pit and like how to rightfully correct someone in love right. and bringing people before the church. But if we don't know each other, if we aren't sharing with each other our lives, how do I know how to help you? Yeah. So it takes like an effort of like vulnerability on your end to share what you're going through. The highs, the lows, the messy stuff, mm -hmm. the awesome stuff. So that we can be like a community that's able to support one another. Yeah. And makes repentance way easier. Yeah. When you're already vulnerable with your with all of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why like something beautiful about house church is we get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. In a in the home. Yeah. Like all together. If yeah. I had something going on, like I did a couple weeks ago, I was able to just like open my heart before everybody. Yeah. And um, and I was able to feel like so loved and blessed at the end of Sunday. Yeah. But if I just hold everything close together and I'm afraid of being vulnerable, will not grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to walk in the light. So 
Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's... You're, no, you're, you're just... It takes community to walk in the light as a community. That's right. Mm-hmm. You sharing, people correcting in love, yeah. people loving well, unconditionally. Like. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing with that is, like, we're talking about confession and each individual confessing, you know, and that responsibility is on you. But sometimes, I, I don't know about you, there's things that we can't share. Or that we feel like yeah, we can't share. Kind of we're, we're just in a really tough place, yeah. right? Yeah. We're having a hard time. And that's where... Paul talks to the church in, I believe it's Philippians, where he, he tells them, uh, consistently outdo one another in love and good works and good acts. And <clears throat> it's this idea, going back to Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, is that I'm not just coming to church and thinking about myself and what I'm going to get. What's my revelation today? It's I'm coming to church because this is the body. And it's okay. I'm just turning it off because it keeps turning it on. Um, it's um, so when we talk about church discipline, right? Nobody likes the conversation of church discipline. Actually, the way church discipline is supposed to work is that there are people in the body who are looking out for one another, who are like, man, something about. I'm going to use Josh for an example. Josh has just been like he's been quiet lately, you know, or. I just, I feel like something's going on and I'm going to go to him in humility and submit to him. Hey, are you okay? Is everything going all right? And maybe Josh is honest, you know, and he's like, yeah, man, like uh, everything's going wrong. Uh, And maybe he's closed off and shut off. And that's when the, the, the next part is taking him before like a couple other people. It's an attempt to love that person. And so when it gets to the point in Matthew 7 where Jesus tells them you've given them these three, four tries and then you kind of, you're at the point where you have to kick them out of the community because they won't submit, he's giving them what they want, right? If you want a fellowship with the body, you, you, you walk in the light. And those opportunities beforehand should be loving, open opportunities for you to share and be real it's not about shame. It's about getting you in the light so that you can grow. It's about getting you in the light so you can be fully seen and fully known for every part of you, not just the good parts that people like on Sunday mornings. And I think that's the, um, the important part. Um, just some of the congregations I've been in in my life where it's like they use that idea as a way to like watch right. and to like, oh, you did this wrong and now we need to confront you about it. Mm-hmm. And it's that's not like... Yep. Jesus's heart like his heart is to bring you back in and to love like literally scripture says his kindness brings us to repentance so it's very much a hey I noticed you were just not yourself like is there anything going on is there anything I can help you with right just because I love you not because I am wanting to like call you out or like feel like I'm superior or like yeah yeah it's really just like how can I help you? Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I, I don't know. I feel like some churches really do a disservice to people that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. This is why everything that Jesus gives the disciples is so risky. <laughs> like his reputation is on the line when he gives the disciples authority to cast out demons, heal the sick, and all these things. He gives them authority when he invites them into church discipline and loving one another and doing all these things. <clears throat> God knew that there were going to be mistakes. But he's willing to work with that. You know, he's not setting you up for failure. He's setting you up because he knows that there's a greater way. If we as the church with our free will and our our proneness to wander to sin, you know, if we can learn to walk in the light and be a light with one another and learn how to practice church discipline in a healthy way where it's not this thing of you're bad, you're wrong, but a thing of like, I see you're struggling. Let me come alongside you. Let's do this together because you don't have to be alone. You don't have to walk in darkness. The enemy is attacking you and I want you to be in the light because when you're in the light, all the darkness falls away. Like if we could practice that, we'll have a dang church. It'll be a good time. You know? There's a clubhouse right now. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think that ties into the verse where it says love covers a multitude of sins because you're coming from a perspective of love when you're wanting to reach out to someone. Yes. So it, it kind of changes the focus, not like I'm going to beat you over the head because I see you're in sin, but right. when you come in love, it's a different, different yeah. angle, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, I don't want to get into the whole 
<clears throat> the way the church is today thing. We talk about it all the time. And I'm really, I am not bitter about bigger churches. There are things that anger me and I have a right to be angry, angry about that. Angry, anger is a good, uh, is a good emotion the Lord gives us. Now what I do with that anger can cause me to sin. Right, righteous anger. If I'm angry and just curse them and now I'm going too far. But anger is something that God has given. God gets angry. Mm -hmm. Jesus flipped tables. Yeah, Jesus flipped tables. So, you know, this is a dangerous word I'm giving you. Don't go home and just yell at your dog because, well, God does it. So (laughs) God also doesn't have a clock. So, Um, but um, where was I going with that? Oh, it's this... There are people who lead in churches, and there are people who go to church in the West, and it's because they haven't read this, they haven't let this sink deep into their spirits, and then they're given leadership roles and positions, and they're flawed people not walking in the light. They are walking in darkness. When I tell you that darkness is like a cancer, this is the other reason First John talks about walking in the light, you know, is so that the body doesn't suffer. You know, if you know anything about cancer, and I, I don't, I'm, I don't want to step on toes. Cancer is horrible. There's, it can start with something this small, and in weeks spread to something this big. Bye, Josh. Bye, Josh. We love you. Have a great day. Have a great week. Walk in the light, brother. Walk in the light. <laughs> you know, you've been looking kind of sad. No, I'm, just I'm emo, bro. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it takes an extra level of discernment for someone like Josh. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but there are often churches that don't practice this concept well because many churches are run like a business. And I'm not saying that all of them are. And I'm not saying we need to go get our pitchforks and our torches and burn them all down to the ground because we got the right answer. Lord, let me tell you, we do some things wrong. And I am chief among all. I'm not claiming to be perfect. But what I do want is to make sure that the things that we do when we read stuff in Scripture, that we are quick to change and quick to become more like this than what we think. And so when a church doesn't walk in healthy church discipline, because a lot of churches are afraid of discipline because they don't like confrontation, which is not healthy, good confrontation is so healthy for the body. It's so healthy when it's done right. If you can learn to confront somebody in a healthy way, in a loving way that doesn't make them feel attacked, but makes them feel seen and heard, you know you've been growing in the Lord. That's something the Holy Spirit does. Convicts people of sin and they don't (laughs) get mad at him for bringing it all up. They go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to be like that. So anyway, we can sit on this forever, but yeah. What else stands out to you guys in these verses here? <laughs> we might just uh, we might just skip and read to the next part. I think we sucked out some good stuff from this one. I encourage all you guys to be reading this as we're going through it. You know, I'd say read John thirteen through seventeen like two to three times a week if you can. You know, it's. Really not hard. It's not that long, but it just gets it in your head. Um, Let's read verses uh, 22 through 31. Who wants to do that? Bowman. Okay. Hold on, I have tears in my eyes. Whoa. Uh, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, and the fa- 
for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love, that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Hmm. Very good. All right. <clears throat> what stands out to you guys here? <coughs> Maybe it's a translation. Uh-huh. But he talks about the world's ruler like in the third person. Yes. Uh, which which verse is that? The 30? Uh, yeah, 30. For the ruler of this world is coming. Right. He's not talking about himself. Satan? Yeah, he's talking about Satan. Lucifer. So... Oh, now I got yep. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, that's a great point to pull, pull out. Because, you know, God is in control, yes. But at this point in time, Satan had rule of the roost. Why? Because, go back to the garden. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given authority over the, the garden to spread it throughout the, the ends of the earth. And when they <clears throat> heard the serpent come and tell them to lie, and they gave in to the lie, they switched their allegiance from God to the serpent. And the serpent then was given all authority because it belonged to Adam and Eve. But they ended up giving it over to this, the serpent. That's why when Jesus goes and gets tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting and praying, Satan at one point takes him up on a big mountain, look overlooking Jerusalem, and says, all this I'll give to you. Well, he can't say that if he can't give it to him. He can give it to him at that point. Is it more literal than that? So, sorry, I don't uh -huh. No, you're good. Um, like the rulers, because if I remember correctly, where we are in the context of this, the rulers of the time literally are coming for him. Right. Um, so They have nothing on him. And they came so that the world would know. And they came. And yeah. they got him, and yeah. they killed him, and he rose again, and the world knew. Yeah. So I'll, I'll pose this question, because if, if, that's a good question to ask. Mm -hmm. that, this is the way you start to think about Scripture and not just take it for what everybody tells you at church. So it says, the ruler of this world is coming. Who ends up coming to arrest him? Who is it that arrests him? The, the guards, right? I mean, right. So it's the guards, the high priests. Yeah. Right. So, and the Jewish high priests were not the rulers of the world, they were subservient to the Roman Empire. So they had to take Jesus to the Roman governor. So, while it's a great question to ask, the ruler of this world phrasing wouldn't match that because the ruler of this world was the uh, the high... Well, the people that came were the high priests, and they were not the rulers of this world. Gotcha. But you could say <clears throat> that the high priests were... Uh, you could insinuate that they were listening to the serpent, the ruler of this world, because the ruler of this world's coming, we don't actually see Satan appear, but we do see the high priest come. So, it's just, this is different ways you can think of Scripture. Does that make sense? Ariel, you're giving me stank face. No. <laughs> <laughs> I keep seeing light in this direction. It's throwing me off. But that's not, okay. not what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, um, what I see here is Jesus is explaining why he's going away. Yep. And that if you've ever had a loved one that was going to Iraq or Vietnam or something like that, and you're not going to see them for a while, that you're, you're bothered about them going away. Yeah. And these people were bothered because Jesus was going away. And even though Jesus could heal uh, Jairus' daughter right. just by saying it, he was still limited yeah. as one person. Yeah. Whereas when the Holy Spirit came, he could be in all of us. Yeah. And not just us, but yeah. all believers. Yep. You know, everywhere. Yep. And I like the word helper. Yeah. There ain't anybody else in this world that needs more help than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100% agree. 
Yeah, that that is what Jesus is doing. Keep in mind, these guys gave up everything to follow this guy. And in their mind, we talked about this in an earlier teaching, was their idea of the Messiah was that he's coming back to overthrow the Roman Empire. And then he's going to establish his kingdom here, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And he chose us, so we're going to be sitting on thrones, baby. We're going to have gold. We're going to have all the stuff, you know. I'm going to have a T-bone steak tonight, you know. <laughs> like, And... Uh, they're getting kind of nervous because he's like, yeah, I have to go to my father's house. And they're like, Caesar salad. Yeah. <laughs> Caesar salad. <laughs> so they're getting a little nervous. They're like, hey, 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 I gave up everything for you. You're leaving? And you see this actually when Jesus does come back. He, he, he dies. Three days later, he rises from the dead. And he uh, appears to all the disciples over the period of like 40, 50 days after that. Um, appears to all these different guys and in Acts chapter 1 <clears throat> the disciples ask him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel that's one of their first questions <laughs> that is like the question that's burning on their brain and Jesus says not yet for not even the father knows the time or the father knows the time but the son doesn't know the time you know um, so like yeah I don't know where I'm going with that what else y'all see See, this is why I like teaching like this, because the expectation is not for me to keep a long sentence going on for very long. Because I don't know if you know, <clears throat> if you've noticed, when I talk for a long time, my mind just reboots in the middle of me talking. And <laughs> it eliminates all the awkward pauses. Now I can blame the awkward pauses on you guys. When he says, you know, um, I won't speak to you any. Uh huh. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he is as nothing in me mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought well I should go on but so that the world may know that I love the father I do exactly what the father commanded me to do get up let us go from here I feel like he was saying you know I've given you all this right I don't have to keep repeating myself. right 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 I don't know if that's right or not but I just you know I don't have to keep repeating myself I've you know yeah. I've given you yeah these things yeah yeah, the, the, I think it's to just the time of fullness is coming. He knows he's about to be arrested and that they're going to kind of scatter. The disciples, you know, some of them stick around and kind of, but they're all at a distance watching what's happening. Um, but <clears throat> Peter tries to run away, <laughs> denies him. Uh, Judas definitely denies him. You know, <clears throat> Jesus is saying, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak to you at this point actively until afterwards. So, yeah, it's a great point. <clears throat> Did you guys ever talk about the remembrance part? Um, which part like is that? Like the Holy Spirit will bring remembrance to you? No, we haven't talked about that yet. I love that part because I feel like I experienced that. Yeah. Where, like, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's inside me, sometimes when I'm speaking with people, certain verses that I wasn't even thinking about will come to my mind or a testimony will come to my mind. Mm -hmm. And because Jesus was only in one spot at one time like we all can have that with the holy spirit yeah. in us yeah. which is really like so powerful yeah. and very helpful like he is the helper yeah and like the other week i was trying to like obey the prompting of the holy spirit and talk to that guy on my yeah. run and i felt like the holy spirit like changed my words as they came out to be way way more polished than what i was thinking of <laughs> saying <laughs> it would have come out real rough um so i like i literally experience what Jesus is saying is good to experience. Yeah. I love that part. Yep. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And how it's in conjunction with, like, the peace that he's leaving. Yep. And I quote that all the time over myself. Peace he does not give like the world gives. Mm -hmm. um, and he knows that our hearts are tempted to be troubled and afraid. Yep. And that's something I struggle with. And so to know that Jesus has a better option for me. Yeah. Um, it's helped me get through a lot of tough moments. And when I, I call it falling into my pit, where I just like I'm down in the dumps and I can't get out and my thoughts are circling, it's like the peace of Jesus is what helps pull me out. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's dive into some of those things really quick. So verse 25 and 26 and 27, we're going to read those. Verse 25 says, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Let's just stop right there. So <clears throat> there are things that Jesus taught, right? And that's what a lot of the things we get recorded in Scripture. Of course, there's a ton of things that Jesus probably taught that don't get recorded in Scripture. And I want a hold of those teachings. You know, it's like a band's like uh, demo tapes, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> before they got famous. I want to hear that. I want to hear the good stuff. The stuff nobody else knows. The B-sides. That's right. The B-side tracks, you know. What didn't make it to the final cut, you know. Um, so he's spoken these things, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, will teach you everything. Interesting. And remind you of all that I told you. So, when it talks about the Holy Spirit teaching us all things, there are a lot of uh, <clears throat> groups you can be a part of. One of the things we we value very heavily is the Trinity, that it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're still learning. I was having a conversation with somebody this week um, when we hear a word from the Father, we would say, yes and amen. When we hear a word from Jesus, we would say, yes and amen. When we hear a word from the Holy Spirit, we go, uh, oftentimes. I'm not saying every time. People are very uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's, so there, there's good parts of that, right? So like, if you told everybody, yay, like this morning, every one of you has the Holy Spirit and he can speak to you. <laughs> And when he speaks to you, that's an authoritative word from the Lord, right? You could go home today, be in the car and go, Holy Spirit, what are you telling me? And then all of a sudden you see double cheesy cheeseburg, animal style fries, and large Dr. Coke pepper thing. <clears throat> you know, go there and have one. Right, right. Go there. Go, my son, and have one. And it's like, uh, yeah, I know a friend. <laughs> Love him. Um, he had, he had like uh, only a couple bucks to his name and felt like the Lord told him with that couple bucks to go treat himself to Taco Bell. I was like, hey, yo, that is not the Lord, buddy. Um, and so, you know, there's grace. But, right, so if I told you all these things and sent you home with that, it's irresponsible, right? You're going to go home. You're going to hear voices in your head. You're not going to know what's the Lord. And it's going to lead you to more confusion and cause you to just – so there's a proper way of talking about this. But when as we learn – to hear the Lord's voice better, as we learn to grow in understanding what the Holy Spirit sounds like when he speaks to us, and the more we see that it matches up with Scripture, with Jesus, then, <clears throat> you know, that's when we can begin to trust these, some of these words. I heard a podcast this week. Somebody said uh, they didn't like the phrasing with, like, testing words from the Holy Spirit, uh, saying that we test them by the Scripture. Because she was saying, somebody's going to come to my church one day, who's way smarter than me, and go, yeah, I had a word from the Lord, and I tested it to Scripture, and it said commit genocide. And I found that in Deuteronomy 7, where it talks about killing all the, uh, the enemy lands. And it's, you know, there's a whole context behind that, right? And obviously, God is not calling any of us to commit genocide, right? Right? right. right? That is not God's heart. <laughs> but when you say that we got tested against Scripture... There is genocide in Scripture. There, there is things. There is lots of things in Scripture. And so we still need to test it against Scripture, but also testing it against the character of Jesus. Yeah. What is the character of Jesus in the New Covenant? You know, what are the things that he's... Put it to you this way. Is this word that I feel like I'm hearing, is this helping to advance the kingdom? You know, and if it's just a word of like, you know, we can hear from the Holy Spirit. Like I, I use the thing of I lost my keys. I can't find my keys. Holy Spirit, would you just show me, show me where that thing is at? Oh, shoot. It fell out of my pocket in the bathroom. That's where it is. And I go over and I find it. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Is that changing scripture? Is that challenging <laughs> the authority of scripture? Mm -hmm. That I heard the Lord tell me where my keys were? No. But he calls to remembrance things he said. That's right. So like. I don't know. Like, remember the, so I what he's like, going to say, remember the time I helped you find your keys. Right. Yeah. Or like yeah. consider the lilies. Like how much more do I care for you? That's like yeah. something right. that could be applicable for. And he loves me enough to help me find my keys. Like mm -hmm. how yeah. sweet like, is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it just goes along with his heart. Yeah. But it doesn't change scripture. I guess. What right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It. Jesus is the lens through which we read scripture. Um, because Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. 
right? John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? So, one and the same, different persons. It's the mystery of the Trinity. We could get into a long, deep discussion. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is the, the fulfillment of Scripture. When we see Jesus, we see what the Scriptures were pointing to. And there's a lot of things in the Old Testament, like, uh, genocide, the uh, child sacrifice, like Abraham, God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. When you read that at face value, because we live here in today's society, we don't understand what's going on, but actually child sacrifice was the most common form of worship in that time. So when he's calling Abraham to do that, it's not this crazy thing. And the point of the story is that God tells him not to sacrifice his child. That God comes down and says, this is not how I des- demand worship. Yeah. You know, He was making a point that the other gods would want you to come and sacrifice your child, but I don't. So there's a lot of scripture in the Old Testament that we don't fully understand, and that's why we we got to study it. Um, <clears throat> but I, were you going to say something? I was just going to clarify. You said it's the main form of worship, but you're saying to other gods. Right, to other gods. To that's right, Yahweh. that's right. Yeah, nobody was sacrificing babies to Yahweh. Okay, cool. But there were other gods in the Old Testament. They're, they're all throughout that other people believed in. And all of their gods demanded child sacrifice. God does not. He's setting himself apart. God hates child sacrifice. He, uh, there, there's so much scripture about that. That he detests it. So, um, this, so this is something um, that I feel like I'm totally stepping into a hornet's nest. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, but I agree with, like, I agree with that a thousand percent. Uh-huh. Um... And then, and then we hear that Jesus was the sacrifice of God for our sins. Right. And those two things together really, um, I struggle with the whole, the concept of the two together. Right. Um, right. Can I ask a question? Please. A clarifying please. question. Please. Um, are you saying that you struggle with the concept of hating child sacrifice and Jesus being the sacrifice is that weird? So I don't at all struggle with the concept of hating child sacrifice. Okay. <laughs> um, right. I, yeah. Um, but there is the portrayal of Jesus as a sacrifice uh-huh. that is necessary to God right. when he has specifically said do not sacrifice people. Yeah. You know that is a concept that I struggle with. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I, like that's a huge question. I mean, that's like, in apologetics, they ask this question all the time. Like, how can you believe in a good, loving God when he kills his own son? When he sets this whole thing up so that his son would die? And so, here would be my easy answer. And we'll probably have to have more discussion for clarification. But just for the sake of time, my easy answer is Jesus himself said, No one takes my life but I lay it down willingly. Mm-hmm. And Jesus also claimed to be God. Yes, he was 100% man, but he was 100% divine as well. So there's not this, when we, we read it, we often think of father and son being two separate entities, me and shepherd, but it's not the same because Jesus is 100% God while being 100% man. And so the better way to read into that is not that God set this whole thing up so that he could kill his son to satisfy his hate for sin, right? He set it up so that he could lay his life down for all, personally. That he would submit himself. Why would God ever put on an earth suit and be one of us if he created us? But he wanted to show us, exemplify what true, real love is. Right? And so... There's no greater love than this than a man that lays his life down for his friends. So, well, yeah, I, it's a great question, and a lot of people ask it. Um, I just think it, it <clears throat> it's a little nuanced, but it is simpler than a lot of times we make it out to be. It's the language that throws us off. But the, the real thing is that God is setting himself up mm-hmm. to die because he wants to exemplify what true love is. Um, you know, he knew we would run away. He knew we would walk away. He knew we would sin. Some people would say, man, what a, what a horrible God to put us on this earth 
and just know that we're going to be entered into this horrible world where there's genocide, there's terrorist attacks, there's rape, there's all these things. And God's like, right, that's why I gave my life so that you could be a part of this stuff with me. So not not like a part of the bad things, but that you can enjoy the, the joy and the peace that comes from being a part of the Trinity with him. Now, I'm not saying we become God, right? <clears throat> we become his friends. My, my, t- my personal take on it, because this is something yeah. across the book, is um, that that is kind of how slash when God learned empathy. Hmm. You know? Like, because if you think about God being God, and God having all our power in the universe, you know, like, and yeah. this is like the um, social sciences, right? Like, right. hard power is military, like, ability to force someone to do what you want, right? Versus soft power, which is the ability to convince someone to do right. what you want. Um, all the hard power in the universe. And the quintessential expression of soft power to, I guess, get our attention and show, show us how much he loves us. Mm-hmm. Because he could have just, you know, been like, y'all, you know, I've given you so many chances and I'm just done. Right. I'm just I'm done. Right. right. Or... I have to wonder if he was thinking about it, uh-huh. and I don't know. Like that's that's kind of it's one thing to see from the outside, but yeah. it's another thing to experience. Right. You know? Yeah, and I totally hear what you're saying. Like I do, and these these are good questions to ask. Um, the only thing I would just hesitate on. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna move on past this, yeah. not to just no, silence you, but just so we can finish up on a, in a timely manner. Um, is to question the idea that God needs to learn something that is a man-made idea, empathy. You know, empathy is a is not <clears throat> God is love. God is if if there's anything that we can learn, empathy or any of that stuff, God's already known it. We wouldn't be able to understand it if it wasn't for God giving us the ability to understand it. So um, yeah, I would just I would I would hesitate on um, you know saying that he might need to learn something. And I've heard other people say it because there's some ways in Scripture where it looks like oh, God's changing, but um, when we read Scripture for what it means and what He says, like um, He is pretty truthful. He is pretty honest about things. Like yeah, God, because He does change. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more He changes His approach. Sure. And. <clears throat> you know, how can you know what it's like though to need grace? If you, I mean, who, who could give God grace? Right. I mean, really, you know? right? Well, and that's I, so part of the reason there. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, when God came to be the the sacrifice for sins as Jesus it says He was tempted in every way, mm-hmm. not just some ways, not mm-hmm. just a couple ways, oh. tempted in every way. Mm-hmm. So. It's not like he learned empathy, but he submitted himself to what we go through, right? right? To show us, one, how to live in full obedience to the Father, right? As himself, right? It's a, it's a difficult concept. Um, <clears throat> but two, like, just that we can overcome those things. Um, but, yeah, I would still hesitate on the... The changing approach, but we'll, we'll move yeah, on. Absolutely. And they, these are great questions. I'm not mad at it. Did you want to say your piece? You think? Well, the, the only thing I wanted to sort of add is that I think that's potentially a part of the mystery of right. the Lord being all knowing, mm-hmm. in that there are experiences that He experiences that He can fully know without necessarily having experienced it Himself. Yeah. Um. And it's just, it's different than the knowledge that we have. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe part of the mystery of that. But definitely, what you're bringing up is like worth additional conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think Angel wanted to say Yeah, um, and I think um, my thought on it is uh, in the Old Testament, most my, my most firm example is there's a, and I can't find it anymore, but there's a poem uh, during the exile of Babylon where God talks about his deep hurt and empathy for his people that are exiled and he says something like I raised them like like the children uh, my own children like uh, he described them as a child on his on his shoulders 
and he said that he relented because he could bear their burn or bear their punishment no longer. Right. And I just think that the the way that Israel and the law that they had over them just required God to act in a more firm way, not in a mean way or a bad way, but in a way that they needed at that time. Mm -hmm. But that didn't mean he didn't know empathy because there was a lot of times where it said that he was moved, emotionally moved. Um, And so he had a lot of empathy, but because of the way they acted in the context of the time, he just needed to show it a different way. His love and empathy had to be shown a different way. We, we would see it as punishment and harshness and everything. But really, the exile of Babylon was a, a show of mercy yes. to bring them back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, cool. So, <clears throat> let's move on. Uh, last thing, because we're at just about time. I do have a clock. Look at that. I, I wanted to point out one thing that gets uh, echoed multiple times in this passage. And I don't want to skip past it. So... I need one person to read verse 15. I need another person to read verse 21. Who wants to read 15? All right. I need someone to read verse 21. She didn't say... Okay. 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay. Can somebody read verse 21? Yeah, she did. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Okay. And then uh, verse 23 and 24, Jesus answered him, saying, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So... What do y'all see here? Look at my shirt. Right. Very clearly. Follow his commandments. What are his commandments? Love one another. Love one another as I love you. To love the Lord. Yeah, y'all got it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is like it. On these two hang all the law and the prophets, right? Right. So we can. Some people would read this and go, "There's commandments. He's God." Get back in the Old Testament and start reading Leviticus and going through all that. Here's the thing: I'm not going to say don't read Leviticus and read all the rules, right? These those rules were God's way of inviting the people into assembly with Him, so that they could have uh, um, access to Him. Right, it was grace and mercy that he would give them these rules, and of course we read them and go, oh, that's that's so abusive." But to the Jews at that time, they're like, "That's all I have to do to be in the presence of the Lord." Okay, well I'll go sit outside the camp for a week, unclean, cool, but whatever you say, you know, uh, like <clears throat> it's a whole different context. But that that is not what. Jesus is talking about. Go ahead. As part of that, um, one passage that I've debated about reading for communion is actually in Numbers, and it's um, a number of the Israelites coming to him and being like, "Hey, we're we're being told that like if we touch dead bodies, we're not allowed to eat the Passover." And Moses goes, "Hold on, let me let me pray about this." And the Lord tells him, "No, in fact, tell them if they don't eat it, they're they're to be cut off." Right. Right. And if you are clean and you're not with your people, like, if you don't eat it when you're supposed right. to, you'll be cut off. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, 100%. But Jesus has multiple commandments throughout his the Gospels. All kinds of commandments. And here's the thing. When you really dig into Scripture, most of them, all of them, echo stuff in the Old Testament. It just leaves out all the stuff that is no longer necessary. Hebrews talks about that there's no longer a sacrifice that, you know, is needed. Because Jesus finished all the sacrifice. So all the sacrifice language in the Old Testament, we don't need that anymore. You know, there, so in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 15, the Council of Nicaea, the, <clears throat> they have this council of the leaders because there's a group of guys who are ministering to the Jews and a group of guys who are ministering to the Gentiles. And the, 
the Gentiles are having all these new converts, and then Jewish converts, the Messianic converts, are going, well, they got to follow this rule and that rule and that rule, right? Like, th- this is, that's what they knew of relationship to the Lord. And the Gentiles were like, nah, baby, we free from the law, you know? Like, <laughs> there's this separation of like, you know, no, no, no. So the, the apostles and the church leaders meet together, and they basically decide on uh, the idea that there's only, hold on, I'm going to pull it up just because I don't want to butcher it, and this is pretty much where we'll end. Uh, they write a letter to the church. Um, let me find it. The apostles and elders assembled to consider this matter. After much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God decided among us that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, approved of them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between them and us, and purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why test God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? That's a good word. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. The entire assembly remained silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had become silent, James answered, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has declared how God first visited the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree. As it is written... It says, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, that the rest of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God are all his works since the beginning of the world. Therefore, James says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them, here it is, to abstain from food offered to idols. So idol worship, don't. This is, this is a law you follow. Don't follow uh, idols. From sexual immorality, that's the whole umbrella of anything sexual uh, that is sinful and not accepted in the Old Testament. And from strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has had in every city since early generations those who preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And then they write a nice little letter and <clears throat> settles that. But... What does that mean? So there is a law. Go ahead, Cam. It's it's not actually idol worship. I think they understand that already. It's that the Gentiles don't have anything wrong with. So when idols have food sacrificed to them, obviously they're not going to eat it. Right. So oftentimes the the temple staff would take that food and then sell it. Right. So the Gentiles would just buy it and eat it like it's nothing. And the Jews were having a huge problem with that, yeah. and they were trying to figure out how to handle that because yeah. there's no rule on that. Right. Right. So they, that's what they arrived at. Right, right. So, <clears throat> and that, I mean, yeah, anyway, we'll look into that deeper. Because that's something I just read the other day that I was like, that's real cool. Um, but those are the things, along with Jesus' commandments, that we follow. These are the commandments we follow today. And so, does this mean we don't read our Old Testament? No. Absolutely not. I'll tell you what, I love reading the Old Testament because I see so much Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is there from beginning to end. I was talking to somebody the other day because I was having that conversation about the authority of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and um, the, the idea that Jesus is the Word of God, right? He is the Word of God. This is the Word of God, but this is part of Jesus, right? Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus... A lot of people would say that Jesus isn't even present in the Old Testament. That is a bold-faced, flat-out lie. And Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Um, Jesus appears to Abraham with two angels uh, at the Oaks of Mamre, and Abraham invites them in, and they come and hang out with uh, him. Uh, I believe that Jacob, the guy he wrestles, is Jesus. Um, There's a Jewish... theology idea that they many many Jews follow to this day it's their version of the trinity but it's only two it's the invisible Yahweh and the visible Yahweh so there was an invisible Yahweh who was sitting in, on his throne in heaven in the heavenlies and all this stuff and then there was a visible Yahweh who was appearing to people 
throughout the Old Testament. So anytime you read that, well, not anytime, most of the time you read that phrase, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That's your ding. What the writer is trying to signal to us is that it wasn't just some random angel. It was the angel of the Lord. It was the visible Yahweh. Um, And so that will change the way you read your Bible when you realize Jesus isn't new to this. He's true to this. He's true to this. Come on. Come on. Sorry, I wasn't going to say it, but Ariel Ariel hit it. And she's so close, I had to say it with her so I didn't feel... Um, yeah, he, and this is the, the story of scripture is that God is intimately involved with his people. He hasn't just set this whole thing we called life on a, a spin, you know, a spin of like a top. Have you ever seen Inception where this top spins and spins and spins? It's not what he's doing. He's not waiting for the top to topple over and then he comes in. He's intimately involved with little things, little details. And, um, He's present with you. That's the big thing we can take away from this passage is that the Holy Spirit is with you. And actually it says that uh, if you follow my commandments, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Um, but the, I will be in you. And It says the Father and I will make our home in you. So it's not just that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. But the Father and Jesus, the fullness of the Trinity, makes their home within our, our hearts, our spirits. That's good news, man. That should get you excited. So, all right, we're going to stop there because I could keep talking forever and ever. Father, we just bless you, name. Bless you, name. We bless your name, Father. You are good. And uh, <clears throat> we just honor you today. Um, we just, I pray that these words wouldn't just fall on deaf ears, but that each person in this room would have good soil in their heart and that the word would take deep root and would go deep into their hearts and grow into something beautiful. Um, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each one of uh, us. And we also just pray once again for the conflict in Israel right now. We just pray that you would bring your justice. God, um, let us be the watchers on the wall. We will take no rest for ourselves. And we ask that you take no rest for for yourself until justice is brought. And so, um, and, and on top of that, we just declare to you that we... We want you. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We're not waiting for anything in particular that's better than you. You are the greatest uh, thing that we could ever wait for. And so we just ask that you would come and come quickly, just like you promised, just like you said you would. Um, So we just bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have been blessed by today's teaching. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.